Welcome to another episode of the Conversation of Our Generation, where we solve the problems of today with the wisdom of the past. And my name is Nick Jamel, and the host and the author of the podcast here. And sorry, I'm being slightly distracted by my dog jumping around upstairs, and it sounded like he fell. But today, we are going to be talking about whether or not America is worth defending. Is America irredeemable? Is it an intrinsically evil place built on principles, or is it something that's worth standing up for and saying, hey, this is actually a good place to be, it's actually built on solid principles and a good constitution, and we should look out for it. And so that's what we'll be talking about today. But before I dive too far into it, I want to remind you that you can find me on conversationforgeneration.com. If you're listening there, you can go to over to conversationforgeneration.com slash podcast to make sure that you don't miss any of the episodes you can subscribe there where on pretty much wherever podcasts can be found, but on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify there. And you can go to Facebook.com slash conversation our generation or Twitter at Conovargen to like, comment, share, you know, retweet, all of those things to get this out there if you're behind it, if you are interested in what I'm saying and want to share that with people that you know, or if you just want to be able to have a conversation with me. I'm on there all the time as well, <laughs> so probably a little too much sometimes, especially on Twitter, but I'm there answering questions or getting into some conversations as well on social media. I'm also on Parlor now, and I believe it's at Conversation of Our Generation, and also on Minds at Conversation of Our Generation, because they allow the little bit longer usernames there. And so... Before we hop into the quote of the week here, I wanted to just talk about why I'm talking about this and let you know that this might be a little bit uh, shorter episode as well. <laughs> um, my dog that I mentioned chewed up our last Mac cord, which is the second one that he's chewed up, and so I don't have a charger, and so in order to save some battery to be able to, you know, edit this and then do my work until we get our charger at around noon today. <laughs> I'm probably going to cut this a little bit shorter than I normally do, but I wanted to talk about this just because I've just heard so much over the last few months of disparaging things and really few years and beyond, but really over the last few months, it's felt like it's kicked up a bit of just disparaging America, disparaging, you know, people who are proud to be an American, proud to live in a place that's free and at least as more free than most places. And, you know, while I have my critiques, I think is overall a net positive place for sure. And just this past week of getting away on vacation and enjoying that freedom to just, I mean, we were down visiting family, having fun, on the beach and then we drove Friday night overnight back home and got here to enjoy 4th of July and there were people who when uh proud to be an American came on like people were like nah skip that song and I was like no it's 4th of July it's the it's Independence Day and so I'm not going to skip that and so that just kind of struck me that yeah, there's people who actually hate this place or who really don't think it's something to be proud of to live here. And I think that that's an insane thing. And so 
my hope is to persuade people in this episode and have an episode that people can look at and say, yep, America is a place that's worth defending. It's something that's worthwhile. And maybe next week we can talk a little bit more about how I think we can defend that in different ways. Uh, but this week I really want to talk about why it's something that's worth fighting for. <clears throat> and so for the quote of the week, this is one from Frederick Douglass. He says, a battle lost or won is easily described, understood, and appreciated. But the moral growth of a great nation requires reflection as well as observation to appreciate it. And I think this is what's important is that so many people learn the nuts and bolts of history, but they don't learn the people. They don't learn the intricacies. They don't learn the context of what happened. They don't see the reason that the three-fifths compromise was made was not to say that black people were three-fifths of a person, which is ridiculous. It's to say that because, because, because free black people <laughs> were not three-fifths of a person. Free black people were not three-fifths. It was to say that a slave cannot count as your population because they don't have the rights of a citizen. So you can't steal away their rights in order to get more power on the national level, but at the same time, be subjugating them. And that's important context. That's important context. And that's important to understand that that's why they did that. But you don't know that if you don't read <laughs> more up on it, or if you have a really bad history teacher. And there's so many other things that I, I could go into right now that are important. But if you read the founding fathers words, if you see the letters between James Madison and Thomas Jefferson, and I haven't read all of their correspondence, but I've read bits and pieces and excerpts. I've read parts of the Federalist Papers and, you know, listen to people talk on them as well and explain it and quote pieces and say what they mean. Uh, it, it's important, I think. I've read a book on Supreme Court landmark decisions. You can see the evolution of different uh, legal ideas coming to the forefront over the course of the, you know, 250 years that this has been a country, basically. And a lot of things change and it develops and it changes over time. I think that we want everything to be perfect right now and we want to have a utopia. But the fact of the matter is when, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson always quotes this, and I think it was Young, Carl Jung who says it, that you should be, be wary of unearned wisdom or something along those lines, but be wary of unearned wisdom. And I think that that applies to progress as well as be wary of undeserved progress. If you haven't really contemplated and understood the changes that you're making and then make them in the right way because you thought about and made a plan for how to do it without causing a lot of external effects, then you're not doing it the right way and it's just going to take you backwards. It's going to be a backslide. And I think that that's how we have made progress so much in the last hundred years. But the first 80 years, 
we made a lot of progress as a nation. I mean, we ended up abolishing slavery within 80 years, which I'll talk more about. But that's a huge change from, you know, quoting in the Constitution that slaves are three-fifths of a your pop, of a person as far as population count when talking about how many seats you're allocated in Congress <clears throat> and how many electors you get to abolishing slavery in 1865, right? I, I guess technically, well, that was when the war was won. I don't know exactly what date you would say that it was technically abolished, but it was the, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm not going into that right now, but I think that it's important to recognize that. And so I want to kind of dive in now a little bit to what's going on and what more of what prompted this. And so there are charges being brought against America all too often, and they're numerous, and it's charges of racism, imperialism, misogyny, greed, and more are just thrown around casually and often with disregard for the implications and even more often without evidence. And almost as if it's, and very flippantly, just almost as if it's obvious that, yep, I don't even need to explain why America's racist because it obviously is, or I don't even need to explain how America is imperialist because it obviously is, or I'll just say one word, you know, I'll just be like Guam, that's why America's imperialist, or the Philippines. And I think it's important to put all those things in context because if America is so irredeemable, how can these critics take part in America in any way? Why do they live here? Why do they pay taxes here? Why do they want us to generally want us to pay more taxes to the American government? If it's so evil and rotten, how is that going to fix anything to give that same place that is so supposedly evil and rotten more power, more money to do what you don't want it to do? And like I said earlier, are there fair criticisms? Sure. Were there grievous atrocities and injustices committed? Yeah, I do think so. But that's not the excuse to be complicit in just erasing history. And it's not any better to pick up Marxism or some other socialism, communism, anything like that, because we've seen how much worse those are by a long shot. And so I think we have to kind of answer these charges. And so I want to go through and talk a little bit about these charges that I mentioned, at least the, those four that are named, and then just talk more about why I think it is worth defending this country. So <clears throat> on the charge of racism, there are a lot of racist individuals throughout our history, and I think that there was a lot of racism that happened in America, for sure. I'm not going to deny any of that. I would say it went against just about everybody, too. I will also say that everyone in the world <laughs> was racist at that time. I mean, when the Irish and the Chinese were building the railroads out west, they hated each other. Both of them. 
It wasn't like the Irish hated the Chinese and the Chinese were like, why do you hate us? <laughs> no, the Chinese hated the Irish back. And the racism that we saw uh, in Jim Crow is atrocious and evil and still has resonating effects today. Sure. But is America intrinsically racist? I don't think so. I think that our founding laid the path to getting rid of those prejudices. And I think that if you read what our forefathers wrote, they, they noted that. They, they recognized that this is not going to free everyone now, but they were handing over a path to freedom for every person who came to America. Because they had to win their freedom in order to offer that to anyone else. And there were still people who were, who were racist, probably at the founding. Not probably, there, pro there definitely were people who were racist at the founding who, in order to persuade them to stay a part of the Union and be able to build this country that will eventually erase these problems... They made a compromise in order to do that. They allowed slavery. Yes. They worked with very racist people in order to make it happen. Or even had to set aside their prejudices in order to see that that's not right. To, you know, what I feel as a person in 1776, raised the way I was and in the place where I was, I know that this isn't right. This is somehow feels contrary to everything else that I'm taught about how to treat people as an individual and how to treat people living as a Christian man. And I think they recognized a lot of the problems there. And they gave us the pathway through our Declaration of Independence and our Articles of our Confederation and the Constitution and push more and more to free more and more people. <clears throat> and so I don't think that our founding principles are racist. And I think that we have failed at times to live up to those founding principles. But I think if we live up to the ideals that we've set out, everyone would be free in America. And it's just when our ideals are not upheld fully that we see the problems that can arise with racism and with everything that goes along with it. As for imperialism, I would say that we are probably the least imperial country. I know that we, I mean, I talk about the foreign wars that we fight and all of that stuff. Yep, I don't like it. That's not really what imperialism is. Imperialism, in its real form, is creating us foreign states, subjugating them and having them pay you dues. You know, the Romans overseeing all the territory that wasn't really Roman was just to extract wealth from them, right? The British Empire was over in India, just 
extracting wealth in Africa, extracting wealth here in the colonies, extracting wealth from those areas. And that's what imperialism is. Now, America has commonwealths and different territories that we, you know, kind of won in wars with like the Spanish, right? So Puerto, or not, yeah, Puerto Rico, the Philippines, I believe, I think we had Cuba for a while as well because of the treaty with Spain, but we freed Cuba <laughs> and we freed, I mean, we allowed, we offered Puerto Rico to become its own country multiple times. I think the Philippines are their own country, but work with us closely. Guam is kind of in the same boat where they work with us closely. And I think, and those are all self-governing places for the most part. I mean, they, they do govern themselves. We assist them. I mean, we basically helped rebuild Puerto Rico, despite the fact that it's not actually our country or part of our country, technically. And even beyond that, if you look at what happened after the world wars, we conquered all of Europe. We did something that Napoleon and Hitler dreamed of doing. We, we had all of Europe in our, the palm of our hand. We could have kept all the territory that we won and we didn't. We gave it back and then rebuilt Germany. We rebuilt France. <laughs> we rebuilt Japan. We could have owned all of Japan, which is, I'm pretty sure, pretty close to the size of California. doesn't look like it on a map because of how it's distorted, but I'm pretty sure it's close to the size of California. And look at it now. It's one of the biggest economies. We could have had that place, but we gave it back and rebuilt it in the process, despite the fact that they blindside attacked a neutral, blindside attacked a neutral country, who was not even involved in the war. And so, as far as being imperialist goes, do we have sway over the world? Yeah. Are there things where some of what we do on the world stage makes me a little uncomfortable? Yeah. Are we imperialists? No. And especially when you look at what imperialism meant in the past, <laughs> we definitely do not do what people talk about real, like a real empire is. We're not even close to what Rome or the British Empire or Persian Empire. I mean, if you read the Old Testament of the Bible, you can see what an empire looks like every time the Jews get conquered. It's taking away their law, their religion, taking away so much of their wealth, destroying, raping and plundering at, at, to sub subjugate them in the beginning, and then using them as just cattle to steal wealth for the prince or the king. That's what it is. That's what an empire is. And that is not what we have here. As far as misogyny goes, women were almost always across the world kind of treated in a second-class way, I would say. Sure. I think that most of Christendom recognized the different roles of men and women, and especially out of necessity, did force women into a one-track life. And that's not necessarily a morally bad thing, I don't think. I think it was 
<clears throat> a necessary condition of life for pretty much all of history until the early 1900s that you needed a wife at home to raise the kids. You needed a man to go and work because his labor was more productive in a field or in a farm or in a mill or as a blacksmith because he was stronger and more capable of doing physical labor, which was pretty much all the labor that was available. And so basically that's what men had to do. And that's how you had to divide labor. And America was one of the first places I would say that you could see women widely being able to step out of that if they wanted to and make those free choices. And we were the first ones. Now there are some laws in the books about women's property and marital rape and things like that, that have gone away. But you have to recognize again, kind of like the slavery issue, it was a human universal to subjugate women. And we were one of, if not the first to get rid of those things. And we were definitely <laughs> the one who did it earliest in its, you know, if, if England did it after you know 2000 years of being England, basically, okay, we did it within a hundred years, 150 years of being a country where we were getting rid of all of these obviously bad laws and not treating women as an individual fully, right? Giving them the right to vote and all of those things. Okay. Makes sense. But you can't hold the fact that some men are pigs against the American ideal, right? There are lots of bad men. There are lots of men who treat their wives and their girlfriends wrong. They treat their daughters poorly. They treat women poorly in general. Yep. Don't deny it. Never will. I mean, we have one of our biggest industries is the porn industry, which literally treats women like garbage left and right. And yet, and, and actually that's one thing that is celebrated generally by these people who will label America misogynist is that porn is good and liberating and free, even though it enslaves the women, even if it's not, you're not actually sex trafficked or anything like that. Although some of them, a lot of them are, there is a real enslavement to that thing. And so again, you can't hold individual actions against the ideal. And then lastly, as far as greed goes, I think this is one where it's silly <laughs> because so much, I mean, right now, yes, I feel like our income tax is very greedy. I feel like the tax system, the death tax is very greedy, but all those things were installed by Marxists and progressives who want to install a communist state here. Those are two of the planks in the Communist Manifesto. It was a highly graduated in income tax and <clears throat> a 100% death tax, but we have a partial one, but still not good. And so I think that that's greedy. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. But I don't think that's in our founding ideals that we should have that. We had to pass an amendment to have the income tax, right? <laughs> so I think it's important to recognize that. And I think that if you want to talk about individuals, I think there's a lot of greedy people on Wall Street and in Hollywood and in DC. Sure, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I don't think that it's greedy to say that if you want to come here 
and make your own way, then you can. I mean, my three, uh, let me think about this. My parents' side, my dad's side of the family has been here longer for the mo on one side. The other side is came here in the eight, late 1800s. My mom's side, same thing, came here in the early 1900s, both all of her family. And one of my mom's grandmas who came here was an indentured servant. She worked seven years to pay off her debt. Like, and then made her way. Her son, or all of her children actually, are fairly successful people. Um, some more so than others, but they're all successful, living good lives in, across the country. New York, Tennessee, Florida, uh, most of them Atlanta, most of them stayed in New York, I think. And uh, they've done well for themselves because of her coming here to find that opportunity even in a place that was hostile to Irish and to Catholics, and they made it happen. And so as far as the greed goes, I don't see that. I see opportunity for anyone who's willing to make us, you know, put their stake in the ground and say, I'm going to do something with my life. And each one of those people is very generous with, you know, what's been given to them through this American dream that they're basically living not basically, that they're living. <clears throat> you know, my grandpa, his brothers and sisters are, have done well and do give back. They, they find ways to offer that and offer opportunities for their children and grandchildren to be successful as well. And so why then is it worth defending? Well, I talked a little bit about this and I showed you that these charges don't fully hold up and I can go through and we can cite evidence back and forth. But the fact of the matter is that the ideals that we live by, that we're founded on, are the answer. <clears throat> I know I've talked about this in the past in blog posts or on podcasts, but I can't remember where. But a constitution is not simply a written document. We were one of, if not the first, to have one, right? Even things like the Magna Carta and all of that were bits and pieces that built the English Constitution, common law, you know, the monarchy, parliament, all these traditions that they had were what created their constitution. Well, we have a written one to preserve the actual constitution and offer our uh, citizens a means of redress against the government. But this, the constitution is more than that. It's in its original sense, if you look at what Aristotle means by the Constitution, if you look at what Edmund Burke and other conservative philosophers mean by a Constitution, it's the institutions, traditions, culture, the politics, yes, and the common values and more. It's what makes up the society. It's what makes that society function, and it's what develops over time. And over the 300 years of our founding fathers and their you know, parents and grandparents and everyone living in the colonies, after 300 years, our founders realized that we had no longer had the same constitution as the English motherland. We were not being granted the same rights and same citizenship as the English citizens were. And they knew the constitution that was handed down to them, and they recognized that their government wasn't upholding it. And so they said, we are going to secede from this contract, we are no longer going to be a part of a 
government that betrays the Constitution. And so, as for these charges, I don't think you find evidence to back up any of those charges in the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, Articles of the Confederation, and other documents. I, I don't see anything there. And so, and I actually have links to all those in the show notes today, so you can go back and read a little bit of those. But I'm going to uh, read a little bit from just the Declaration and the Constitution, just so you can hear those beginning pieces again. <clears throat> right? When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. And then it goes, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. And I think that that's, you know, I kind of gave you the long-winded version. That's what they're saying is, Everyone is created equal, that governments are instituted to secure the rights that are from God, and in order to, and when a government comes, becomes tyrannical, you're allowed to pull away from it. And they have a list of grievances here. I mean, it's a ton of different grievances uh, from, you know, dissolve the, he, he has dissolved the representative houses repeatedly for opposing with Manly firmness, his invasions on the rights of the people, uh, refused to assent to laws, the most wholesome and necessary for the public good, right? So it's all these things where, I'm not going to lie, I've seen some of this in our government at times too, at the federal level. So there's definitely a case to be made that changes need to happen there, but the founding principles are on secession, on saying, no, if you're not going to allow us to govern ourselves, then we're going to, we're going to pull away from you and govern ourselves. <clears throat> and then this is what the constitution was set up to do. This is the preamble. And hopefully you've heard this before. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Now, where there is anything racist, misogynist, imperialist, greedy, they're trying to create justice, peace, uh, have provide for a common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty for themselves and for those who come after them. Where is the racism or misogyny there? And so, 
since there's nothing in those things to look at that points to these charges, the ideals are not, these, these ideals are worth defending. They are not what they're charged with. They're innocent of all these angry charges from Marxists and leftists that want to tear it down. And so that's why the charges don't stick. That not only is there no evidence, but there's actually evidence that we led the way in getting rid of many of these things. We were one of, if not the first to end slavery, and we did it within 80 years of our founding. We were one of the first, if not the first, to give women the right to vote and to give them equal standing in the law and to welcome people of all races, creeds, and nationalities and bring them here. And while individuals were hateful towards one another and racist and bigoted, sure, definitely. But our government welcomed all these people and gave them an opportunity to find a way to make a way for themselves to go and say, you know what, if I'm not welcome in this state, I'm going to go out west and make my own way. And they did, many of them. I just read a book on how the Irish did that because they weren't welcome on the East Coast and they were being discriminated against. And then they went and established all these mining colonies and did well in places like California, Montana, New Mexico, Texas, all these Western countries, or not countries, Western states that were being settled at the time. That's what America is. And that's why it's worth defending is that it is a promise for more and an opportunity to make your way. That's why everyone's still trying to pour in here. That's why there's so many people still trying to come here and no one who criticizes it is leaving is because they know this is a great place and that yes, it can be better. I have a thousand things that I could think of probably off the top of my head to make it better, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about these ideals are worth living and fighting for and defending when they're attacked. And so Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the podcast. I definitely did. And if you did, just go to conversationofourgeneration.com to check out more of what I got going on. Go to the conversationofourgeneration.com slash podcast to find where you can subscribe to the podcast. Go on facebook.com slash conversationofourgeneration, Twitter at conofourgen, or parlor and minds at conversationofourgeneration there. Subscribe on all those places. <clears throat> Follow interact with me as I post and stuff because I definitely like hearing back from people and hearing what you have to say. And so thank you for joining me for the conversation of our generation as we solve today's problems with the wisdom of the past. Thank you for listening and I'll talk to you next week.